Hi, I am Puneet Khurana. Me and my very good friends Manish Dhawan and Nuresh Mirani brings you Stoic Talks Season 2. We started Stoic Talks as an initiative to bring practical and implementable investing wisdom from some of the best minds in the business without getting selective or biased on the investment style or philosophy they follow. The idea was to learn various viewpoints, choose the nuggets that make sense and develop or enhance one's own investment style. Let's tune in and listen and learn with Stoic Talks. This particular episode of Stoic Talks has been recorded in collaboration with DSP Mutual Fund. With that, now let's welcome the guest for today. Hello everyone to this fresh podcast of the Stoic Talks series. The podcast is presented to you in collaboration with DSP Mutual Fund. Our today's guest is Mr. Prabhakar Kudwa, co-founder director at Samviti Capital. Prabhakar has a varied experience in different fields from software to financial technology products to investing other people's money today. He writes a popular blog Investment Insight India where he presents a lot of interesting ideas as well as thoughts on a regular basis. He was also selected among 40 under 40 investment managers by Association of International Wealth Management of India. He has been cherry picking stocks and giving market beating returns for the last many years. So it would be an interesting conversation. Do tune in. Okay, great. Uh, welcome Prabhakar. Uh, great to have you today. Uh, I have been wanting to talk to you in this format for a long period of time. I think last time also we had a conversation around this but uh, uh didn't materialize so good to have you i've been um uh <clears throat> actually i've uh, you know really enjoyed consuming the content you put uh, for two reasons one i think uh very very few people venture outside the defined boundaries of their investment frameworks and investment world and you are one who have consistently done that and uh, that's always appreciated and secondly of course your performance have been good you have been doing managing money so there is more practical aspect to you know money management rather than just uh, theoretical theoretical concepts so so would be great to pick your mind welcome to stoic talks thank you so much punit thank you nuresh uh, it's a welcome change to you know actually talk to you know practitioners you know rather than uh, you know so all the other interviews i've done it's mostly you know people who are just starting out in the markets who want to learn more about you know markets but uh, you know you guys are hardcore practitioners so i'm sure we'll all have fun sure perfect yeah i i really hope that let's do one thing you know i i <clears throat> as i was telling you before that also our main attempt is going to we, we will we will guide all the listeners to your you know old videos or uh, interviews or things which you have said in public and we will build over that so that we can give a bit more detailed nuances to your working uh, you know most of the time I start with stock picking because that's ultimately the bread and butter, and you have said a lot on stock pickings. Uh, but today, I thought that I will probably start start with one question which I usually take at the end, uh, which you haven't said much about, and which makes or breaks the portfolio, you know, processes, and that actually comes from allocation of the stocks, right? So you haven't really discussed a lot on allocations, and while I start with this very broad question on allocations i also want you to now give me uh, your your journey in terms of your understanding on allocations and then i'll move to stocks because i have been following you from the very start 
uh, you have been in the markets for about 15 plus years if i remember correctly and um, uh, you know i have read few articles where your allocation methodology have also evolved over a period of time so maybe you can combine your journey in the markets and your allocation strategies how they have evolved over a period of time as first question which is very very uh, you know first time we are doing that so let's let's give it a shot sure sure so i mean let me start from the beginning uh, so i was actually very fortunate you know to be introduced to the markets at a very young age so i i started i was introduced to the market you know when i was in my 10th standard so around i was 16 or 17 years old and uh, it was actually my you know so uh, my dad you know is a banker and you know so actually i have spent a lot of time in the northern india you know allahabad moradabad delhi so most of the you know my growing up years were in delhi and every vacation we used to sort of come to you know mangalore which is my native place and my uncle at that time you know was one of the few people who was actually in the stock markets you know and he had a computer you know this this is about 15 20 years back and he used to make me sit next to him and i think nuresh will relate you know a lot to this you know uh, i used to you know look at the charts and that was my you know very early introduction to the market and uh, you know very quickly I, i sort of realized you know two things about markets right so that one is that uh, you know it's a meritocracy and the second that it is an opportunity machine right uh, so i'll put that in context right so for generally for every middle class you know young boy the path to success is through education in india right so you you know you ace your entrances you get into the iits and the iims and you know so that's the typical path but once i got that flavor of the market you know i i, I somehow at that young age i realized that you know this is it you know that i and i you know i i am an introvert right so i am uh, you know i don't really like socializing a lot and all of that so i you know this was something which was got sent you know because i feel that market is a single player game you know it's it's between you and the market you know you look at your charts you do the studying you know you do all of that and uh, you know uh, there is no hierarchy if you are good you are good you know in any given year if you really have the skill sets then you know you can beat the you know best of the players you know so th- that is how i sort of started and you know uh, i gave a lot of attention to the markets you know my parallel life you know continued you know whereby i did my schooling and you know as usual you know i did my engineering so i am a computer science engineer you know i, I started engineering and uh, you know but all this while the one thing that was common was you know i was relentlessly involved with the markets i read hundreds of books i you know i i you know spent a lot of time on the internet a lot of forums you know a lot of uh, you know uh, content that i consumed and uh, that is what you know you know the aggregation of all of that is what shaped you know shaped me as an investor so i have you know literally learned from scratch with no theoretical business background right uh, so why i'm why i'm telling all this is because you know uh, over these years i i've got a opportunity to you know uh, try different styles of investing you know uh you know i'll come to your question you know which is which is a segue into that basically is that uh, you know i i you know when i started out uh, i you know i was the most concentrated investor you could find you know because there cannot be any more concentration than what i did because uh, for a long time you know in my initial years i just owned one stock you know i, I was you know fam- famous or infamous for that on you know a couple of online forums that there was just one stock that i owned in my portfolio all of my whatever little net worth was there at that point in time was in hawkins you know all of my money was there and you know uh, and and uh, from there over a period of time as the capital grew 
you know i i realized that uh, you know uh, diversification you know uh, is actually not such a bad thing you know diversification gives you not only more than the protection diversification gives you optionality you know because i remember 2000 uh, you know uh, 12 uh, 13 to 2016 17 uh, i participated in that bull run and you know we made good money but uh, there were a lot of stocks you know like symphony astral you know all of those uh, you know uh, stocks which were very small at that point in time your avanti feeds all of these stocks i had seen but because i had this notion that i am a concentrated investor you know i stuck to my hawkins and page which also did well but i could have done you know if if i had a bunch of these stocks all of which i had seen and understood analyzed you know i could have probably done much better so the biggest takeaway that i got is you know uh, you know other than the usual risk management you know that comes into play when we diversify it is the optionality because uh, most of the times the stock that does the best is a surprise you know most of the times uh, if if you ask me you know pick five stocks and rank them in you know in terms of my expected expected returns uh, for most investors the stock that will you know turn out to be the best performer will be a surprise so that optionality is what uh, you know diversification uh, you know brings but then as i you know grew even more you know uh, see i really wanted to understand how the market works you know i you know at some point i wanted to go deep you know i didn't want to be a value investor or a growth investor or a concentrated investor or you know a diversified investor i really wanted to go deep you know my question always was i want to understand what makes the market work you know what makes the prices go up what makes the prices go down and as i have matured now you know uh, i have actually come to the realization that your portfolio structure you know, the portfolio construct is actually a function of your setup you know i've i've realized you know i've written recently you know a bit about this but you know the idea of having you know one or two setups that you master right you know and and the portfolio construction becoming an offshoot of that is a, is a much more natural progression you know than how most investors start you know most investors start with labels they they say you know i am i am this and i am that but you know your setup is what should define your portfolio construct and your setup itself you know uh, you know is derived from certain structural tendencies that happen again and again in the market so you know i'm sure we'll talk about that you know a bit later but but yeah but my final conclusion you know as it stands today is that a portfolio allocation and portfolio construction is not something you start with but it is an outcome of uh, what path you decide to take in the market yeah so actually now i can you know take the liberty of clarifying why i started with allocation first and maybe delve a bit more into that right uh yes. the more i have seen and i've seen your journey going from a concentrated one stock investor to uh, to a investor who has talked a lot about different kind of patterns which you see in the market and uh, and and patterns eventually lead to selection of stocks uh within that and i will come to selection stocks later but within that you have different different kind of buckets you have discussed over a period of time uh some were quality and buy and hold and some opportunistic and so on and so forth i'll come to that later uh and then uh, just now you also said that it's a matter of your setup and it is also a surprise usually the best performing stocks are a surprise okay now if i want to ask you the question on allocation what i want to basically get into and then we can probably make a parallel of the stock selection also 
is that how do you given that your understanding is that you know most of the stocks don't end up generating the returns you want them to or you hope or you think that they will give that kind of returns and you, as you said winners are surprise uh how do you marry the thought that conviction should lead to higher allocation and lesser conviction allocation should be a decision of your conviction given that there is a randomization in terms of your returns so is there a thought you have on that how do you how do you marry these two separate seemingly separate principles so to speak no i think uh, you know i think conviction you know you know this is so i had very different thoughts about all this you know a few years back and you know as i've really spent time thinking about it no i think conviction the idea of conviction itself is uh, you know uh, is is a bit uh, uh, you know arrogant you know so to speak you know uh, you know because see conviction is something you know uh, is that you believe that you know you are right you know and sometimes having a lot of conviction uh, can uh, lead to a lot of biases creeping in right it can prevent you from doing the right thing at the right time right so so uh, so when we say i have a lot of conviction you know we typically end up with uh, you know uh, saying uh, you know uh, over allocating to something like that so i'll give you an example right so bajaj finance right so conviction so this was something i was very very convinced about okay and i did you know make good money in it right but come covid right what happened is i was over allocated it because conviction right so i was convinced of the management i was convinced of uh, you know but what happens is when you are you know uh, over allocated to something and you strongly uh, you know believe in uh, you know uh, a particular thesis and when you know something goes wrong you you know become like a deer in headlights kind of a situation right because uh, you thought in one direction right and uh, things are not turning out that way so you are not able to decide when you should decide to do something about it and at the worst possible time you know you will you know you will take some decision which you will you know regret right so this was one instance where i realized that with a lower allocation you can actually make more absolute money than a higher allocation right which is uh, mathematically uh, sounds absurd but what happens with a higher allocation is the market forces your hand at exactly the wrong time see if you own 15% of your portfolio in bajaj finance versus if you own let's say 4 or 5% the 4 or 5% of the portfolio you can take a 50% you know drawdown or 60% drawdown but with a 15% portfolio what will end up happening is when the stock is down 50% and most good stocks in the indian markets have fallen 50% time and again right you will end up doing something stupid and you will sell it at exactly the wrong time or you will reduce your allocation at exactly the wrong time and you will actually end up making less money right i think i think the biggest uh, you know uh, uh, opinion about this was from charlie munger right he said always you know keep looking for disconfirming evidence right you know always look for something that is against your thesis so this idea of conviction the way we look at it right uh, you know conviction and you know marrying conviction and allocation i, I think uh, is fraught with uh, you know a lot of risks over a long period of time it might work very well in a bull market but when you are evaluating this thesis across a cycle you know across a 2008 you know across a covid you know across a demonetization you know across all of these things uh, the idea of uh, you know a conviction 
becomes uh, you know i think it's on it's on a shaky ground is what i have uh, you know understood over the, over these years hmm. okay so so you know given this brief background now let's shift focus to your actual portfolio construction uh, yes. from stock selection to the risk management part uh, at a more practical level so now when you are starting and again borrowing from what you have already said in past um <clears throat> you have invested into and you do invest into the so called high quality names resilient businesses which have shown resi- resi- uh, resilience over a cycle and in one of your interviews you have said that that parts that is a good chunk of your portfolio um i mean but i think and you can correct me if i'm wrong uh, you are conscious on the valuation front there Uh, is that a fair understanding and if is that a good part of your portfolio let's start with that bucket first yeah so you know so like so the portfolio is basically divided into two two different baskets right so one of the baskets is you know what you spoke about you know the the, the quality basket or you know the basket which you can buy and hold and you know that there is some secular tailwind you know behind these companies so the earnings will keep on compounding the risk is on the you know the multiple which can you know compress or expand right and the the second part of the portfolio which is slightly more aggressive is more of uh, you know what i call you know which is which is on the back of the you know the the peed the peed phenomenon right right so earning surprise so earning surprise works phenomenally well uh, you know across markets uh, you know it is it is a structural tendency uh, you know uh, across all markets not just india uh and this is typically a two three quarter kind of a play where you can generate reasonably good alpha if you can pick uh, you know businesses which uh, are showing some sort of a sudden earning surprise and you can uh, you know if you can estimate and figure out if this earnings you know momentum can continue for the next two three quarters uh then you can make good alpha of course you should know you know when to get out and you know but this is this is a you know a two three two three four quarter you know play right so these are the two buckets in which i generally you know divide the portfolio uh which is one of the other things which i have realized you know lately uh, uh, you know an insight is that there are two ways to operate in the market right so the first is you have to be either very passive to make money two ways to make money essentially be either be very passive or be very active you know if you are anywhere in the middle right the middle path in my opinion generally does not work right so either you are the kind of investor who is doing an sip into index funds you know doing it in a disciplined way you're not bothering about it you will make good returns or you are a warren buffett type of investor taking one or two decisions a year very passive in nature you will do well right or you you know if you are a person who is uh, you know a uh, into the markets spending a lot of time in front of the screen spending a lot of time uh, you know watching the markets and uh, you know and under, uh, analyzing the trends so you have to be very active so the, a lot of a lot of retail investors i feel are somewhere in the middle they want to you know be traders but they don't have the time so they they are not able to be active but they get into the kind of stocks which you know need active management so so what so what i mean is so these two buckets that i have created right so essentially the first bucket is is supposed to be a passive bucket in the first bucket is where you know you are taking a 3 to 5 year kind of a bet 
and you know that the earnings will compound at 15 to 18% CAGR. And, uh, you know, if the, uh, you know, the runway, the growth runway is long enough, then the PEs generally don't compress, right? So, so something like, uh, you know, uh, DMART, right? So DMART uh, has been expensive from the day it got listed and it has only gotten more expensive, right? Now, the reason for that is, uh, you know, uh, 70 to 80% of the GDP is, you know, retail, right? And if you look at uh, something like how a Walmart has expand, you know, expanded in the US, there is a huge, uh, you know, uh, growth runway for demand. And that is what the market is pricing. The market does not want to give you free money. And that is why the PE is so high. Because, you know, uh, even if the PE compresses and DMART is able to, you know, uh, grow at 15, 20% CAGR uh, for the next 10, 15 years, and let us say the PE compresses, you will still end up making, uh, you know, 8 to 12% CAGR. That is what the market will give you even post PE compression. So a, a, an expanded PE for a long time means that the market is very sure about the uh, earnings uh, and the runway. And the other type of stocks, which I said are, you know, earnings surprise kind of stocks or some sort of thematic bets that, you know, I keep taking from time to time. Uh, those are the stocks where you need to be active. There you cannot get carried away and, you know, you cannot confuse yourselves between these two baskets. I mean, and that is the biggest mistakes investors do, right? They they confuse between, you know, the bucket one and the bucket two. Uh, you know, bucket one, you can afford to average down. You know, you, you can afford to buy them when they correct. You can buy them during a crisis. You can keep holding on to them, you know, for long periods of time. But the bucket two stocks are where you have to be very nimble. And, you know, you have to be willing to, you know, cut your losses at times. And you have to be willing to, you know, do a lot more churn to generate that alpha. So what sort of, uh, say, allocation you have on bucket one and what sort of an allocation in bucket two? Or it's very dynamic? No, it, see, I prefer, you know, everything to be in bucket two. Because bucket two is where I feel, you know, there is more compounding if you get it right. You know, as a practitioner... Right. We are, we are, you know, the thrill for us is more in, you know, picking the stocks rather than making returns, you know, that, that may sound controversial, but, you know, you know, like I said, you know, sometimes just being very passive also, right. Somebody who just owned uh, a basket of FMCGs in the nineties, you know, made phenomenal amount of money, right. But being involved in the market and being passive, doesn't just does not go you know it's, it's it's very difficult to do that and very few people can do that you know i'm sure there are you know exceptions to this but you know uh theoretically i feel the bucket two is where you know a faster compounding can happen if you can do it right and that is where the alpha is you know the alpha is not in buying the you know 12 to 15 percent uh, growers but the alpha is trying to you know get get into those opportunities which can you know, uh, you know, give you 20, 25% in a quarter, couple of quarters, right? Of course, you will not, you know, uh, do that at the portfolio level. But, you know, even if you get in a good, in a good environment, in a good earning season, in a good market, you know, uh, that is why, that is where I would like, to, you know, all my money to be. So that is where your patterns and everything comes into play. So maybe you could explain one so that all of us can understand the way you look at a two quarter or a four quarter thing. Sure. Your favorite no, pattern. No, before getting into patterns, Doresh, you know, uh, so how do these patterns come about, you know? So you, you, let's go one step deeper, right? So there are certain uh, structural tendencies, you know, I did a 
thread recently about the physics of the market or you know or something like that so you know there are some structural tendencies uh, you know that you that you can observe in the market right now, this is not any original thought right it is all an aggregation of what i have read so so what so what are these structural t- tendencies you know if i can list down a few right so you have momentum right everybody knows momentum momentum is a structural tendency you know you know if a, and it it and it works on all time frames it will work on an intraday time frame it will work on a you know a, you know a day time frame and and different people have different strategies which take advantage of momentum right the other structural tendency is mean reversion right so mean reversion so what what are value investors doing right they are playing mean reward right what are cyclical investors doing they are doing mean reward right so mean reward is another structural tendency right the, the third structural tendency is uh, you know i would say exhaustion right whenever there is a buyer exhaustion or a seller exhaustion right you get a very sharp move to the other side now uh, you know this 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 is a good uh, you know uh, uh, you know entry point into the idea of you know over and under ownership right over and under ownership you know like what's happening with the psu banks now right it is basically you know what i call neglect it's extremely underowned so when you know, when neglect and under ownership you know meets with some catalyst you get an explosive combination right what's happening with the us tech everybody and his brother owns us technology stocks right every second person in india today owns that motilal oswal nasdaq etf right so what 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 exactly is that it's over ownership every institution in the us owned the funds so there is extreme over ownership and you know and that extreme over ownership will mean that uh, you know the, there are no incremental buyers the, everybody who has to buy has already bought right so that is a buyer exhaustion right so exhaustion is you know the third structural tendency right the fourth one you know uh, the structural tendency would be uh, you know like i said uh, a surprise event right a news a surprise news or a surprise earnings right whenever the market finds something new you know which is a surprise to it it re-rates itself on the either side right it extrapolates that and it and it gets into a re-rating uh, you know phase right so that that is the other one the next one you know i would say is you know uh, you know small cap stocks right this smaller market capitalization or smaller float right leads to much more bigger moves than you can ever find in large caps it's a structural tendency you can you know see it across markets so so you know there are several of these you know five six you know structural tendencies and all the setups that you know people have you know are actually an offshoot of this so you you have to you know so you can th- you know go back and think about it so essentially you know whatever setups you have whether you are an investor or a trader are an offshoot of you know one or more of these uh, structural tendencies right so 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 from you know from there all of these other patterns emerge right so what what exactly is uh, you know an earning surprise right like i said so earning surprise is you know basically a you know an event which has happened you know uh, like you know in in a soap opera right uh, you know there is a sudden turn you know some sudden some event happens and suddenly the story takes a different turn right so it is it is something like that you know whenever a news comes out or an earnings comes out there is a tendency of the market to re-rate and you know and price in this new information and the pricing in of this information takes time now we are fortunate in india because we have circuit filters you know you would have seen in the us the pricing in of information happens you know in a much more crazy way you will see stocks you know the biotech stocks will go up 
500%, in one day. But in India, because we have all of these, you know, hundreds of rules, it's actually a good thing for people like us because market takes its own sweet time to price in that information. So when you get a blockbuster earnings report, you know, the market will take at least a couple of weeks to a couple of quarters to really price that in. And that is where the edge is. That is where, you know, we come in and we say that, okay, now this stock, and, that's, and the same happened with PSU banks. You know, you look at the results which came out, some of the smaller private banks and all of that. You know, uh, from the day of the result, on the day of the result, you could have said that there is a good 30, 40% here, if not more. Right? Nobody expected the kind of craziness that followed. But it was very much predictable and the market does not move 30% in one day. Right? So, so there, there is, a, you know, there is an edge there. So, you know, any other setup, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, uh, you know, I, I spoke about, uh, you know, uh, one of the setups is how the margins mean reward, right? So, so if you look at, uh, you know, uh, some of the tire stocks right now, okay, they're giving out horrible results, okay? All the margins are at multi-year lows, right? And, you know, on the other side, we know that the commodity prices have already started falling. And you will see that all the tire stocks are now near 52-week highs, right? And the reason for that is the market is anticipating the margins to start mean reverting. And, you know, so there is a trade there. There is, a, there is you know, money to be, there is some money to be made there. You know, of course, with the usual disclaimers and all of that. But but I'm saying, uh, you know, mean reversion, you know, in, you know, basically cyclical players are doing what? They're doing mean reversion. So if you understand from, you know, where your setup is emanating, you know, from what structural tendency, you will be in a much, much better, you know, place to, you know, milk that setup. So just following a setup, you know, because I put something out on Twitter, I keep getting a lot of DMs, you know, that can you give me, you know, this, because like I said, you have to make the setup your own, right? So everybody, you know, so you have to master, you know, one or two setups and you all as practitioners will know that, right? There are a lot of nuances in the market. It's never, it's never, you know, black and white that, you know, you do X, Y, Z and you will get this output. It, it is not science, right? So a lot of nuances. So, you know, the, the market environment matters, you know, in a lot of, in a bad market environment, nothing will work. So understanding the market environment and making that a part of your setup is also a very important thing. But this journey from understanding a structural tendency and using that to build your setup and, you know, and then going about mastering that setup is, you know, where the entire, uh, you know, spectrum of, uh, you know, an investor should be. Interesting. So, uh, say, like we say in momentum, the only, the main edge is the fact that people cannot panic on buying. People get panicked, uh, say, when something odd happens. That is how we are structured. So, yes. one of the reasons we say momentum really works is because yes. people cannot go say, there is, and there is no forced buying, right? So, yes. on the way down, yes. the broker sells your position, your yes. emotions sell your position. But on the way up, nobody is going to say, boss, if you miss it, nobody is going to come and kill you. Yes. No, and there are some, no, see, like I said, no, see, momentum is a very vanilla tendency. Now you have to, to so just follow, just, just momentum is not an edge, you know, because everybody knows about momentum. So how do, so momentum is a tendency. Now, how do you convert this tendency into a setup, you know, it, it is where the, you know, skill really lies. So, you know, for example, you could, you could, you know, people, uh, you know, you could use momentum, uh, you know, to, let us say, uh, you, you know, create, you know, create a strategy whereby what, what example can I give you? Uh, 
okay let me let me just think about it and come back but yeah so so what what i mean is that you know using vanilla you know vanilla momentum you have to mix momentum with something else you know like momentum and low float right that is a potent combination a momentum you know uh, in a large cap stock will actually mean revert so you have to know these nuances a momentum in a small cap stocks is more likely to continue a momentum you know with a catalyst is more likely to work much better you know so people do this you know ranking of relative ranking of stocks and just you know buy them which is which also works during a bull market but if you want to make it an all season thing then you have to you know you have to mix mix momentum with some other tendency and then you know convert that into a setup sure i'll i'll not try to give a structure to what we have discussed so far and also then make the question so so far uh, from a portfolio construct you're saying two buckets one bucket is the quality names which is your not so preferred bucket you want to be in the second one which is uh, more timing centric if i can use that word uh, timing centric lesser short, i mean it's a lesser term holding compared to a buy and hold kind of a strategy and you're looking for uh, higher returns there because they will be triggered with i mean short term boost in the prices because of some some factors um, i had a lot of questions on the first bucket obvious for obvious reasons but since that is not your preferred bucket i'll i'll just close that bucket by some very common sensical discussions uh which is which is mostly the debate around quality stocks uh one obvious thing is i'm guessing that your preference is not there because you certainly feel that the xirr or the quantum of returns you can make from a buy and hold kind of a thing is lesser uh, otherwise why would you do that so so there must be a belief system that uh the the assumed 25 30% cagr which people assume from these kind of names is a difficult thing to get uh in what scenario will this bucket which is quality bucket if at all will be a significant portion of your portfolio and secondly how do you go about selecting stocks for this portfolio what will be your criterias and thirdly if you i will just combine the questions here thirdly uh how do you manage risk when there is a buy and hold because most of the time the risk is not in the business as much as it is in the valuations so how do you think about risk of the first bucket let's focus on this part and let's close it first sure sure so you know in terms of the selection criteria it's quite simple actually you know uh, you know other than the usual uh, you know high roe and all of that i think the key criteria for me is uh, you know that's the business should have survived and prospered in multiple cycles so i don't want one cycle place so a lot of companies right uh, are one cycle place so you have your uh, you know uh, you know the the uh, you know let's say an lnt right an lnt is called a blue chip but lnt was a one cycle play lnt did well only when the infrastructure boom was there right whereas I think, Avanti, I think you were invested into which which did well for yes. one cycle i think yeah yes i mean those yeah those are of course mid caps you know those i would put in bucket 2 bucket those two. by definition sure. are the one cycle place sure so they are they are in fact a few you know depends on the company some of them the two three quarters turn, turns out to be six seven quarters you know two three years and all of that but amongst the larger names right so i i would i want companies where the earnings have uh, sort of grown across cycles so that is the main main condition and you know only a few sectors really qualify that and you know that two main sectors are financials in india and uh, you know consumers right so even even pharma has proven to be 
you know not so robust across cycles you know there was so when there was that tailwind of us generics they did very well uh, but within the pharma space i would say some of the mnc pharma names uh, you know uh, qualify and generally if you look at the overall mnc basket right i think they will qualify as multi sector plays across sectors you know so if you look at uh, you know the likes of uh, an abbott or if you like it you know look at something like uh, you know uh, honeywell or you look at something like a timken or you know uh, some of these bearing companies which do not belong to you know uh, the so called uh, you know uh, sexy sectors you know because the capital allocation has been good the managements are prudent they have proven that they can you know leapfrog across cycles and keep growing their earnings slowly and steadily so that is how you know i would go about uh, you know creating my universe of you know these uh, so called bucket one companies uh, is it fair to say that it's going to be a lot of quantitative stuff rather than too much qualitative judgment in this particular selection what you just said oh uh, no the other way around rather you know because okay. uh, you know the 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 quantitative part is to the extent of uh, you know uh, like i said you know you you can you know just you know go on screener and find out a list of companies you know where the earnings have been uh, you know growing across the last several years or if you are a technical you know a person then you know you want to see a monthly chart that is trending up from left to right right you know without with with you know uh, so you know so these so these are stocks which are proven by the market where the market believes in the management and and the and the you know the qualitative stuff is more to do with the fact that they have not you know uh, done any hanky panky you know over the last many many years right because the market very well you know if you if you've done any corporate governance issues and all of that the market punishes you you know and that 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 reflects in your overall return and you know so on and so forth so it's it's uh, you know more to do with uh, you know businesses uh, you know which have good managements no corporate governance issues you know now now when you do a quantitative uh, scan you might come across some name which satisfies all the scans but psychologically you will not be able to you know go and buy these businesses you know uh, if you really don't know anything about it you know if you know if it is not a sector leader or number 1 or number 2 although it qualifies all the scan it will not come into your portfolio because you know and, and that's my sort of uh, you know segue into your first question you know at when do you buy these companies and the best time to buy these companies is during a crisis right the best time and not a company crisis a market wide crisis the best time to get into these companies is is you know during a market wide crisis and during a market wide crisis you know no matter how uh, you know uh, how many practices we do like i said the quantitative screen will not suffice you will need a qualitative element to you know to be able to really buy you know uh, things when they are falling right so typically you know i keep a watch list of these or a, you know or a basket of these stocks uh you know and some stocks keep entering and exiting you know uh, you know this this bucket right uh so so this watch list is, is a you know uh, something which will be bought whenever there is a uh, you know a, a, even a small market correction or whenever there is a 10 15% correction in the market you know because you cannot hope for that uh, you know that 2008 or covid fall because then you will just be able to do it once or twice in a decade right so so for for so it depends on the profile of the investors also so we have several investors who you know are more comfortable with the first bucket right so the best time to you know buy into these is you know whenever there are 10 15% corrections which are diamond dozen right every 6 months you will get a 10% correction in the market and that is the best time you can get into these stocks 
and uh, you know a portfolio of these stocks over you know a 3 4 5 year period generally will do fairly well it will not do something phenomenal but at the same time it will it, these are the best stocks to participate in a bear market because in a bear market you will not go and buy mid and small caps now let's be you know uh, when you're when you're putting in large money to work right the best way to get market exposure is to get into stocks where you know which will allow you to sleep at night you know when something like covid happened right where you don't know what's going to happen but you still want market exposure right that is when you go to these kind of stocks you know because that allow you to take that exposure when no other stocks will you know the no other stocks will have the uh, you know ability to enter your portfolio Hi friends I hope you are enjoying this particular episode I just want to take a minute and thanks the sponsors for this episode Toy Talks was built on a premise of actionable insights and detailed questioning and that usually requires the independence of doing that work when you're looking for somebody to partner with you are not only looking for somebody who will share your ethos but also will promote this independence of asking fearless questions without any hesitations so when we were looking for someone like that the obvious first choice for me was a dsp mutual fund i have known their team i have worked with them for a long period of time you know they have this uh, tagline called hashtag #invest for good which i really like because it really associates which in my observation i have seen them living this as the way of their life and which is very visible if you if you follow their work uh, in public they have done some excellent research efforts they've come up with some amazing reports which everybody enjoys reading for example they have this report called netra uh, then there is the transcript which talks about the concord transcripts then there is the annual report nectar the navigator and and many such reports which i enjoy reading and is enjoyed by many practitioners in the investment community so we are extremely proud to be working with such a team they completely agree with our vision for stoic talks and i really want to thank them for supporting this particular episode and if you aren't already i would highly recommend you to uh, follow them on twitter with their twitter id is @dspmf so thanks once again and enjoy listening to this show uh, okay i understood but i still need a bit more clarity in terms of implementation so on one part we are saying that we should be looking at these talks Uh, in the bear phases when there is a overall market correction large market correction because obviously they provide stability to the portfolio you have the market exposure uh, and you are pretty much certain that these are not the kind of stocks where you are going to have permanent loss of capital so you are going to get your money back and probably quickly when the market revives as and when it revives okay so that that part is clear uh, but then uh, there you also are mentioning about adding to these stocks with every 15 10 15% fall at a broader level in these stocks which will be much more frequent than the market broader market falls uh yes. so I'm, i'm still trying to get a clarity on how do you build this this part of the portfolio so just let's take an example um like covid happened everything fell no question i think it will be i think at that point in time you will be buying a lot of these names uh, at that point is it fair to say that bucket one will be a majority of your portfolio uh, is that how you see it or you still have the elements of the other side of equation 
No, it's very unlikely to have the other side of the equation, okay. especially during an event like COVID. Because see, the other side of the equation depends on earnings, and sure. uh, the and whole concept of earnings vanished. Right. Yeah. So. Okay. So that's fair. So 2000, uh, you know, COVID kind, it's very clear as to how your strategy is. Now let's go to the other, you know, the the more current situation where the quality names have taken a drawback of a drawdown of somewhere around twenty five to thirty percent. You know, sometimes even forty forty five percent. Uh, would you have been buying these stocks at the fifteen percent drawdowns from the top? What was your approach in this market when we're talking about, let's say, twenty one, you know, October twenty one onwards when the market started to fall and all these names started to correct? How did you approach your, you know, this bucket building, if I can say that, uh, during that time? With some examples, that would be helpful. Yeah, I think uh, you know. So exactly. So uh, let's be clear that I'm not talking about a fifteen percent fall in. these stocks i'm talking about a you know a 15% correction in the markets because okay. you know so whenever there's a 15% correction in the market typically you know this basket also will fall you know 15% or or more sure right now at that point in time you know so you would already be owning you know some of these stocks right so by definition these are stocks that you do not sell these are stocks where you're sitting to compound your money now the question comes you know of buying comes for incremental money so so if the incremental money is made available then that money can much more easily go into these names you know whenever these let's say when the index went uh, you know when nifty went from uh, 18 to i don't know if it went to 15 5 or so right uh, so whenever you know it's it's in that in that uh, you know panic phase you know the russia ukraine war and all of that and you get incremental money to deploy so that is when you know you you know you look at your universe and you know and uh, you know and then you go out and uh, deploy wherever you feel you know there are opportunities so let's say let's say i think asian paints right asian paints had corrected quite a bit mm-hmm. right uh, in the, in this uh, in this recent fall right so you sort of go out and uh, you already have asian paints right so let's be clear that in this portfolio we are passive you know we are we are betting on uh, you know uh, the earnings of asian paints uh, you know and the market cap of asian paints becoming much higher 5 years down the line sure. right and i and i need a i need a way to sort of uh, deploy my money so okay. a lot of these stocks uh, you know which had corrected uh, you know you could have gone gone out and confidently deployed money in this basket okay so uh, okay fair point uh, so let's say you are deploying money incremental capital whenever as and when when it's coming to you into these stocks at the time of crisis uh first is it fair to say valuation is not a key key parameter is that a fair assumption or is valuation a selective criteria in these list of stocks then i will i will follow up with the next question based on your answer see as long as the earning earnings are uh, you know growing at a fair pace you know there is no negative surprise on the earnings then the valuations are uh, you know i would not say it's not a criteria but see looking is trying to buy these companies at uh, you know 15 20 pe is not going to happen right uh, so so i would not say that valuation is not a criteria but as long as there are no you know uh, significant negative earning surprises you know let's just take an example of divis right so divis is something which is which qualifies into a multi cycle and of a play it has compounded its money over multiple cycles but right now divi is in a corrective phase but the earnings have just tanked 
right? Which was apparent not only in this quarter but the previous quarter itself when they gave that guidance, right? So I probably, you know, you know, won't go out and buy a DVS, right? Even though it has corrected, and even though the market has corrected. Now, but if your if your earnings are status quo, and the market has fallen, then I see that, and, and you know, whenever the market falls, the PE would have compressed a bit from normal. It would not obviously, you know, from the 60 would have become 55 or 50, and when and when the market bounces back, that 50 will again go to 60. That is the game there, right? So as long as there are uh, you know no negative surprises, you are delivering on your earnings. You are growing at 15%, 20%, whatever you usually do. I will uh, you know make a list of those stocks and pick out and go and deploy. Okay, and when you are largely in these names, let's say a COVID kind of situation. Uh, obviously, you will be shifting much before the actual bottom will form because you know that's yes. the nature of your yes. buying, uh, yes. and and they will revert much faster because they're quality names. When they do revert, what's your what's your uh, you know methodology around moving away from these stocks and then building your basket too? Uh, when do you decide to do that? Is it based on availability of stocks in basket two, or is it also? That okay now these stocks are again back to their peak valuations or something like that and i want to go out and start actively looking how do you make that shift bit from basket one to basket two no actually the way we have structured it in the pms is that there are these are two different portfolios these are two different schemes right because so by definition there is no uh, concept of you know shifting out from basket one to basket two you know because if you if you do that then uh, you know uh, like I said, you know, uh, you the whole idea of basket one is that you are compounding your money. You know, you you are not losing a lot, and across cycles, your money is becoming is is compounding. So there is no point in you know switching out from basket one and getting into. See the whole so that that is what so one has to be very clear, and that is what you know we will tell our clients also that what is it that you want. So you cannot get the best of both worlds. You cannot say. At the right time, I'll come into basket one, and then you know when the market that is all theoretical, right? I'll go into basket two. So, so, so when an investor comes to me, you know we can we allow them to do the split between a core portfolio and let's say an aggressive portfolio, right? Uh, so, if you are the, your core port core portfolio is supposed to give you you know a, a nifty plus some you know percentage return, that too will not happen every year, but it is going to give you a fair rate of compounding. So there is no question of really, you know, selling something. Sometimes, you know, when things go really euphoric, right? There was a phase when demand went really euphoric. That is when you decide to take some money off the table. That is when you sort of, you know, do, uh, you know, trading within your positions, you know, with the intention of buying it back lower, right? You know, many of times it works, many of times it doesn't work. But when things really go crazy, that is when you can look at taking some money off the table sitting in cash and either deploying it elsewhere in the core portfolio itself or buying back the same stock, uh, you know, uh, once it corrects. Okay. My, my bad. So actually I was thinking that you are, you're talking about two buckets within an individual portfolio. And that is why I was wondering about different allocations, but okay. So now this is more clear. You have two different offerings. You're managing both of them separately. In one case, you are more buy and hold high quality names let's not use buy and hold because there is no such thing as buy and hold you're still selling yes. something uh, yes. high quality uh, the focus is more on uh, reasonable compounding rather than uh, ex over and over extra returns whereas as part of second part of the portfolio is more active more alpha focused and there 
and, and you're asking your clients to decide a proportion based on yes. you know based on based on their how much they want to you know take uh, yes. do you by the way also shift for, for a particular client between these two portfolios as a suggestion that okay now probably you imagine that okay this quality bucket might underperform for a long period of time so it might be a good time to go out something like that do you do those kind of calls for your clients no i think rarely because because like i said that will be against yeah, the philosophy defeat so, the purpose it's the same thing all over again okay yes. fair point yes. fair yes. point okay so uh, okay then i'll have to change my questions based on this new understanding okay uh, so this is now a separate portfolio which is a buy and hold quality portfolio um by the very nature as you said valuations then since the universe in itself of great quality names is not very high i mean yes you can count on your fingers you know 20 25 stocks which will probably be in this list and i'm guessing you are you must be having what 20 odd stocks in your portfolio generally uh, in this portfolio uh, yeah that is correct 15 to 20 stocks 15 to 20 stocks so so you have to play in that one universe you can't go too much value centric otherwise you'll not be able to buy Yeah, I think I have about a list of seventy odd names, you know, fifty to seventy names. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, like I said, it includes these MNCs and all of these. Uh, okay. There are some mid-cap companies also, you know, which which so by definition, core doesn't mean large caps. It okay. can be you know good mid-cap companies which have good management, which have scaled up, you know, which have you know thrived. So it's a list of about fifty or seventy, and depending upon the opportunities. you know i try to pick 15 20 out of them sure, know, to build sure. this portfolio and and is there a way you decide allocation in this fund because this bucket is not very difficult to understand so we'll close this very quickly uh, is there yes. a way you you divide between your allocations let's say higher allocation to some stock lower allocation to some stock is there a way you go about it i used to do that but uh, then i realized it's counterproductive you know like i said the whole that conviction thing comes again you know higher conviction higher allocation and you know if the allocation becomes a bit too high then you are prone to you know making mistakes so i generally you know start off equal weight and then let the market you know do its thing and uh, you know unless you know and and once the stock starts doing well uh, unless uh, you know there is you know there is a huge and these companies will not become 4 or 5x right in the sense that in 6 months they will one year they'll not become 4 or 5x right so these are well known companies so the allocations don't go haywire so much so you know you start with a 5 6% allocation and uh, i think you are sort of uh, good there and besides business being you know challenged in some way or earnings collapsing like in dvs uh, uh would you get out of these stocks for any other reason you have already mentioned valuation but in extremely extreme cases like dmart euphoria uh, is there any other reason why would you exit these stocks or there is no other reason you will exit these uh no rarely rarely okay fair point so now let's actually so so this part of the portfolio and i'm guessing you're looking for what 15 20% compounding any other do you have a benchmark return in terms of in your mind for these kind of stocks for this portfolio no i think uh, as public money managers the endeavor is always to beat the nifty in case of this portfolio sure and in, in case of bucket too you know you try to beat the nifty 500 but what will make you happy for this portfolio Now, this portfolio like i said the uh, you know the alpha the alpha in this portfolio comes during bear markets the alpha you know uh, in this portfolio comes during bear markets because like i said when the markets have fallen you can have the confidence of putting money to work right which is uh, you know not the case with a typical portfolio or the bucket to portfolio 
so and and these typically you know uh, these portfolios will fall less during a bear market so these portfolios you know really give you that psychological hedge you know, i i call it a psychological hedge you know uh, when your other portfolio bucket 2 is falling apart this gives you a psychological hedge to sit on your exposure even you know in the depths of pessimism right because you maybe even add point, more maybe even add more you know and that really gives you a big fillip you know it's it's kind of uh, you know unfathomable how much alpha is there in just deploying incremental money during corrections sure that itself is a big edge which a lot of people don't exploit you know and the best way to exploit that edge is either you know you put your go out and you know in every big correction you know when things are going crazy just either go and put your money in some index fund you know or just go and put your money in you know uh, in a selection of these companies so i think uh, what makes me happy is that it uh, allows me to sit through bear markets and really outperform in that phase okay so fair point now let's move to the bucket two wala portfolio obviously much more uh exciting things to discuss there right a lot of lot of what you have mentioned on your you know twitter threads and your blogs about uh you know the themes the way you pick stocks and there are multiple ways you have tried to approach this right so let's now go down to some of the way you select your stocks for the bucket two earning being one trigger you have mentioned that but you mentioned four or five ways in which you go about you know the core principles like momentum mean reversion uh and uh what surprise events and i i was uh listening to one of your um, i was actually going to a twitter thread where you mentioned few more things like you know 52 week high all week high all time highs and some other patterns like this so let's go into that bucket and how do you go about screening the stocks for those buckets maybe a bit more detail and then we i mean a more at a doable level how do you go about it what kind of screens you have do you have quantitative way of doing things qualitative way and so on and so forth yeah so what i have observed you know over over a several quarters of uh, uh, you know watching earnings is that uh, if you you know i do this study you know every uh, every quarter or every six months right just go just you, you know you anybody can go and do it just go out and uh, find out the list of uh, best performers for the last six months right and you will see that 50 to 60% of them will be earnings driven and the remaining you know uh, 20 30% of them will be news driven uh, you know uh, all basically will belong to some theme you know as a sector the stocks will be moving up in the absence of earnings because the market is anticipating something and 10 20% of them will be these low float small caps and all of that you know which just move because of some operating activity or whatever you call it right so i realized that there is a massive edge you know and time and again time and again every quarter this happens that you know companies which come out with the uh, you know blockbuster earnings you know uh, end up giving you it's like free money on the table you know it's like there is money on the table but you know you should know you know when to get in and what to look for and when to get out so you have to be very clear that these are not buy and hold you are not going to get carried away by you know uh, the fact that this company will become the next uh, hdfc bank or the next infosys you know so it's 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 at best uh, you know uh, uh, you know a two three four quarter play right in some cases it's just a one quarter play in the next quarter the company disappoints again you have to get out sometimes at a loss right 
but but this tendency you know uh, anybody can sort of go out and you know verify this so my first screen is you know so i'm very religious about checking the financial results so every quarter uh, you know the beginning of the quarter you know the first 45 days i am extremely extremely busy uh, you know just you know i'll try to look at every number that has come you know it you know uh, this, this is something i picked up from you know my partner uh, you know who, who, you know so we you know together we go through i think whether small cap micro cap nano cap we will try to go through every company because a lot of times these smaller companies right give you uh, you know because the results come early they give you early trends you know of what is likely happening in that sector because the smaller companies are very uh, you know sensitive to you know uh, uh, changes in the economic underlying you know economic activity right the larger companies do a lot of playing around with inventory and you know this and that they will book something this quarter next quarter the smaller companies are much more sensitive so you know so going through all of these results and keeping your you know uh, uh, eyes ears open uh, you know gives you a very good insight into what's going to work in this quarter right what what are the what are the sectors that are likely to work in this quarter right and uh, no that is how we kind of picked up you know these small banks and any of the banks. older examples if you could give say something just popped out of nowhere a company you were never tracking but it came on your screener and then ended up becoming a good part of your portfolio maybe a few years back not a current position sure so i i'll tell you so like global spirits was one right uh, i i didn't know anything about the company right and it so this you know so this is more of a quantitative exercise you know i i will i will say that this bucket is very quantitative there are times when you know you might not you know study the company very deeply right and that is why this portfolio is much more diversified this portfolio is uh, you know 25 30 stocks because you know even if you go wrong you know i know that the odds you know the odds are in my favor you know because my study tells me that you know if i pick uh, 10 stocks uh you know at least five or six of them will work and the five or six of them will give me if they give me an average return of you know 25% in a quarter and the ones which have not worked you know give me a loss of uh, typically they will give you a loss of 8 to 10% right and because the earnings are good you know you generally see that the companies in the worst case may not go anywhere but they will not you know fall down like a stone because by definition you are picking co- companies where the earnings are you know quite good so i'll i'll give you you know a few examples right so let me give you a few examples from uh, this quarter itself right uh, so right so i think i think apar was one you know a couple of quarters back you could have you know you could have uh, seen ujivan ujivan last quarter was you know one of the big surprises you know uh, you know if i can share my screen you know like punit said uh, will that work punit yeah yeah absolutely please yeah so this is ujivan right just as an example right so look look at the you know just just eyeball the numbers right so look at you know all of these quarters it was you know doing okay and then there was a, it was in a big mess right and uh, you know it was this huge losses and march was an okay quarter and then if you see here right look at this uh, you know this financing profit you know look at this top line right it it suddenly something changed here right suddenly something changed here look at the you know the pbt right this is at the quarterly level so it has done a pbt which is you know higher than the last several quarters right and this was june 2022 so the result would have come in july august 
right? And you look at the stock, it was not doing anything. So there was neglect there and the results would have come somewhere, somewhere around here, around 20, 25 bucks. And look at the move that the stock has made. And this, this move is driven by results, nothing else, you know, and you know, you can, there is, there is a, you can almost find a one is to one correlation between, you know, a lot of stocks getting re-rated and them, you know, coming out with the surprise results. So there are two factors that I look for, right? So one is uh, neglect, prior neglect. The stock should not have gone anywhere. The numbers should be very messy. And then suddenly you get a blockbuster quarter, right? And look at the next quarter, this this current quarter. So after generally I have seen about two, three quarters, the pricing and mechanism of the market, you know, uh, gets over. So, you know, if it again surprises in the December quarter, uh, you know, the market may not give you the kind of re-rating which it gave you in the first and the second quarter. Because the market is smart, it would have already, you know, uh, priced in that things have already changed. So you will get an incremental alpha, but not so much, right? So let's look at another name, you know, that I mentioned earlier, Globus, right? It's, it's, right. So a similar thing happened, uh, you know, uh, in, in Globus, right? Look at this, you know, uh, look at this uh, top line. And more than that, look at the margin. This, this was more of a margin expansion story, right? So if not here, you know, just just look at how the margins, you know, sort of shot up. Uh, you know, a company that was doing 30, 35 crores of operating profit suddenly gives you a 60 crores of operating profit, right? And September, so, you know, uh, October, November, the results would have come. Uh, this was 2020. So, so this was that re-rating phase, right? So somewhere here, you know, uh, the results would have come. So from 1000, it went to 1600, you know, in, in a matter of a few months. So this, this is the delta that you are sort of, you know, trying to capture, right? Uh, look at, look at Karnataka Bank. So Karnataka Bank has given a massive uh, surprise this quarter, right? And even if you bought it on the day of the result, it was up, it opened up 10%, you know, I still remember. Uh, it's it's up about uh, 20 25% from there in a matter of a couple of months right you look at another bank that you know you picked up again these are banks i would not have touched otherwise right good jnk banks numbers nothing 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 and then you get a you know you get a blockbuster number so yeah i mean so so i think these are some of the you know uh, examples Okay, let so basically, uh, yeah, yeah. So let me just get a bit more in terms of operationally. Uh, from what you're telling me, uh, I'm getting a sense that to play these kind of names, you don't have a lot of time to study the stocks. I mean, obviously, because there is a earning driven momentum. And as you have rightly shown, immediately, there are increases in the prices and the volume comes up and so on and so forth. So if you need to act on these, you need to act much quicker than the usual way of buying company where you study, you, you're looking for, uh, is there a, you know, as you said, are the number trustworthy? Is there any kind of shenanigan happening, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have time for all that kind of stuff. Uh, so you're acting much, much more quickly. So how are you filtering out of all the exceptions you are getting in the market in, let's say, a particular way? Because again, assuming running in a running portfolio, every now and then you don't have way too many 
you know, uh, positions open in your portfolio also that you can churn out entire portfolios. You must be looking for three, four, five ideas, uh, you know, so and so forth. So how do you uh, zero down to those three, four, if at all there is a methodology behind that? And uh, secondly, then what's your risk management? Because if if earning growth is the entry point, then is earning degrowing or stopping or slowing growth is your risk management or you also have price-based you know, ki itna gir gaya, main bahar ho jata is price-based kind of risk management also in this case, in these kind of stocks specifically? Yeah, uh, so let me answer the last question first. So, yeah, I mean, there is no, the price-based thing thing will throw you out. The price-based thing, because what happens is during, uh, you know, a quarter, uh, results have come. And in those three-month period, if there is an external event and you have a price-based stop loss, you'll be thrown out of the stop loss. So as long as I am confident that the earnings are uh, you know good, right? I will hold on to the stock and I will wait for the next earnings to happen. And typically, what I have seen is inter-quarter if there is a correction in the stock, before the next earnings release happens, the stocks rallies back. You know, if the market is anticipated, which which will happen in most of the most of these stocks, it will rally back. So if you have a price-based stop loss, if you say 50 EMA below, I'm out and all of that, it will not work here, right? Because an external event can, you know, doesn't care what the earnings was, especially in these, you know, mid and small cap stocks. External event will just, you know, they will be selling and these stocks will fall. So you have to stay put, you have to take that risk to make money. Now, how do you manage the risk? So like I said, the the risk man, and you know, like I initially answered your first question, right? Your Your portfolio construct, is an offshoot of your setup, right? So the portfolio construct here by definition is very diversified. Now in, in my definition of diversified is about 30 stocks, right? Uh, you know, uh, for some people it's much more, but I think that 30, you know, 25, 30 stocks is a fair number, which gives you, you know, that, you know, the theoretical diversification, it gives you the optionality and it also takes care of the risk management, you know, because, what is the risk here? Like you pointed out, because there is not much time to go very deep into these companies, uh, you know, the risk is that you get something wrong, which is why, you know, you know, I generally, uh, you know, so these 25, 30 stocks, the allocation is two and a half, three percent per stock, right? So even if a stock goes against me, you know, let's say it falls 50 percent, uh, you know, I am, uh, you know, losing anywhere between, you know, one to one and a half percent per stock, right? Uh, and typically I have seen because there is an, a big earning surprise, right? there's a difference between a big earning surprise and a good earnings number. I, I'm not interested in the good earnings number. I want a blockbuster earnings. I am not interested in the good because you will find hundreds of good, right? So, so typically I have seen that there is incremental buying. There is, even if there is a correction due to an external event, these stocks are the quickest to bounce back. Having said that, there will obviously be mistakes. There will obviously be stocks that will, you know, not move up because you made some error of judgment. It was a commodity company. It had a one quarter of extremely high, you know, uh, earnings, right? So, but I think the winners, uh, you know, kind of take care of, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, things which don't work out. And the third thing is that, you know, my experience of the last 15, 20 years in the market, having you know, looked at all of these businesses gives me that first level of due diligence. You know, if a new guy is doing it, 
he will be in a, you know much more difficult uh, space so i know so i know what a vakranji is right i so if vakranji gives me blockbuster number i'm not going near it right so i know the difference between a uh, you know a, a company which has gotten beaten down because of a bad cycle and a company which is beaten down because you know of some uh, you know uh, shenanigans that uh, you know the, the management has done and and you know and if you really study these numbers across quarters you can even find patterns in how these managements work you know how a lot of managements do a lot of uh, inventory stuffing you know who do a lot of these uh, you know gimmicks you know how the other expenses shoot up and you know a lot of these things happen so i think that knowledge database which has built over the last 20 years gives me that itself is a fair bit of risk management which gives me a fair idea of what this company is all about because in the all of these years you know uh, i i have seen most of these companies you know at least uh, you know uh, if not very deeply but i i have a sense of what they are you know who the management is and all of that so i think all of these things put together you know a, a fairly lower allocation more diversified you know having a base level understanding of the business and the company right and the fact that the earnings are a big surprise after a period of neglect it takes care of a lot of risks you know uh, at the portfolio level uh, sure and i i think i have the sense but i'm i'll still you know for the benefit of the listeners clarify this when you are doing this kind of blockbuster result seeking uh, do you make some compromises on the more commonly followed you know checks and balances like capital structure might be a bit stretched let's say you're not comfortable with debt to equity uh, of the company uh, or or some other balance sheet uh, you know sanity checks which people do uh, would you would you and when i say compromise i'm i'm taking into consideration the fact that blockbuster results is taking a very high priority in your decision making here so uh, is that a fair way to say that you will do some kind of compromise you're okay with and also on the valuation front so these two things if you can comment on no, uh, we'll uh, the more on. the more dirty it is the better you know and when i say that <laughs> when i say that not not from a not from a corporate governance point of view right so that yeah. is that is like the red line right so you don't get into you know a pc jeweler so you don't get into a vakranji or any any of these kind of names where you know that you know uh, you know and there are some managements are inherently uncomfortable because you know you know uh, the you know so the bitla group companies or something like that i will probably you know uh, avoid these are like the blacklist but otherwise if the balance sheet is bad you know all of that i i feel reflects in the the neglect part you know a lot of people ignore the neglect part and they focus only on the blockbuster earnings so the fact that they are neglected by definition means that the valuations are not stretched there is no froth in the stock right and that when it combines with a surprise number right really and there's one more additional layer of you know check that i put is whether it is happening only to this company or is it happening across the sector if it is happening across the sector you can be much more sure the reason why the reason why i could you know bet on a jnk bank which is one of the shadiest of the banks right uh is is because it was a sector it was you know it was a you know it was a entire credit cycle and you know end of the provisioning beginning of the new cycle whatever narrative you want to give it give to it right it was an entire sector getting re-rated so in in those cases actually like i said 
the the you know the worse they are the better which is counterintuitive also i'm getting the fa- i mean uh, considering the fact that your holding period is not going to be that long balance sheet risk also is not going to come into play for a shorter time period it's much much more prevalent risk when you're looking for a very long term holding anyways absolutely so, absolutely okay. absolutely and and like i said you know with with this tailwind of a good result right generally the stocks don't fall like a stone so you know what is the worst that can happen is you can lose 10 15 you know unless some you know like i said a corporate governance issue comes as a surprise which you anyway nobody can control it can happen to any stock right if something like that happens of course you know and and that is taken care of by the allocation that is taken care of by that you know 2 3% allocation uh, you know even if you lose you know and you will right you will you know nothing will work for all the stocks so 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 it's a mix of these things yeah so another example which you were talking about that because you look at so many results you tend to get an understanding of the sector and possibly an allied sector right say for example yes. this company yes. has done bad implies the other company will do better given that this is the raw yes. material producer and this is something was a consumer true maybe you could give an true. example because you discussed that uh, as one part of your pattern and then a blockbuster true. running coming in the same thing any example no, you remember yeah so no like i spoke about the, the tires right so you know so you can expect uh, you know so all the the rubber companies to you know give uh, you know start getting the margins getting compressed a lot of rubber companies would have seen their margins uh, you know or a lot of chemical companies right you know why just rubber a lot of chemical company a lot of commodity chemical companies or commodity companies will see their margins uh, being uh, compressed from the next uh, you know for them from the next quarter itself right and and you can already see that a lot of companies which gave out blockbuster numbers right actually ended up falling because you know that is also key because you you want you want a fresh blockbuster number you don't want a blockbuster number which is 3 or 4 quarter old so if a company you know uh, so a lot of these companies like deepak nitrite and all of that you know you we, we participated in them you know when the going was good but once you realize that one of the way, one of the ways in which i exit a stock is also if i feel that the margins are have peaked that these are unreal margins you know if you look at at the history of the one company right the company that was doing you know 15 16% opm is now doing 40% opm you know that it's not sustainable unless it has you know immense pricing power so if you see a 40% opm for the for you know one or two or three quarters you know that this is it now this company is going to be stuck for a long time you know just trying to outgrow the eps the record eps that it earned because even though the revenues will keep growing because the margins will compress the eps will keep falling and the stock will go nowhere so so you know so especially the commodity companies right so when the commodity companies start coming out with bad numbers you know that the tire stocks will likely see a margin expansion from the coming quarter yeah i mean uh, yeah so uh, what you're saying is actually more applicable only to those kind of names where historically you are, historically the numbers are very reliable also like it's a cycle and you can see the historical cycle then you can know that okay this is probably the range yes. the margin should peak but something yes. like a karnataka bank you will not be able to do that kind of working obviously um, no, no, uh, no okay you can't preempt you can't preempt those uh, i just one question prompt to my head it may have nothing to do with your investing style per se but how do you manage or if you at all bother about uh, does it bother you that some bad quality names are going to make way into your portfolio and it's going to impact your you know 
uh, the, the the image of the portfolio or image of you as a fund manager or you know your clients might object something like that is that ever been a thought behind <laughs> or or because i have known some people avoiding you know uh, these kind of companies badly from a reputation point of view so does that seem like a risk to you at all uh, ever bothered you uh no see when you're managing public money right these things you know i will not deny that these things are important but uh, you know the thing is puneet if the uh, if the returns are coming through right investors don't mind because money has no color right so you know investors really don't you mind good investors <laughs> absolutely no and that's 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 uh, you know that's that's a fact yeah. that's a fact and that is a fact by design right so we we have no like we don't have a sales team we have no sales approach you know there is no so we have not signed up with any distributor although we had a lot of distributors come to us we have not tied up with the you know any of these wealth management firms right uh, so and that is by design you know, we want to only deal with people who understand markets and uh, you know who you know uh, who have been through cycles right and the like i said you know i have that psychological hedge bucket one bucket one is what you know is you know where you have more more than enough quality you know to to compensate for the lower quality stuff in bucket two right so every investor that we have typically will have a mix mix of both of these portfolios so that's not really an issue and you know i don't really you know bother with it because because by because i have told this to my investor right? by design i have said that i am going to chase earnings and uh, you know and it is going to be the portfolio itself is called active alpha right the portfolio is called active alpha so it's very clear that it is active in nature and the mandate is to generate alpha so you know we will go down the quality curve if we have to you know if that means that is where the money is stock talks has been partnered by dsp mutual fund which was an obvious choice for us having interacted with the dsp team earlier and recognizing how they are obsessed with helping investors take better decisions some examples of their motivation to help investors do better are visible in their research related work which they make available for free including getting smarter tatya report card their invest for good blog among others and many more reports we thank team dsp for supporting this episode of stock talks and recommend that you follow them on twitter their handle is at @dspmf okay and and um, uh, is this the portfolio where you also do the short part because you have one long short no 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 that is the aif that is the aif which is where your uh, quality bucket is if that's am i going no, no. the parallel the, the, no so can you no. can you just so, explain that part i mean you have one aif one pms where do you do quality where do you do long short what exactly is the way you go about it Well, the PMS has two schemes, right? So Achha. one one is one is the quality, and one is this bucket two, right? Uh, the AIF is a separate vehicle. The AIF is a separate vehicle whereby you know uh, where elements of this quality and bucket two portfolios are there, but we also have other strategies there. Yeah, yeah. So AIF is a different vehicle. So AIF is a vehicle where. Uh, you know we do a lot of options you know we do a lot of hedging and we do a lot of index index trading also so that's a completely different vehicle but uh, you know within that you know there are there are portions of uh, both bucket 1 and bucket 2 but it, it includes many other strategies okay understood 
so yeah so let's let, uh, okay this part is clear uh, before i go to the short side let's discuss few more you know uh, triggers of picking so one which you have discussed right now which is the earnings driven which you called peed category of stocks uh, you have discussed some more you know themes or some more triggers uh, one being price action driven which is 52 weeks high and all time high once another one which you have inter- which was interesting was the capital structure driven which is debt reduction uh, can you talk about debt reduction how do you screen for the companies and what exactly are you looking uh, looking in those stocks yeah i mean um, so what what we figured is that you know you know debt debt reduction you know uh, drives as much eps growth you know as your regular organic growth driven by the top line right because once you when you reduce the debt you know a, a lot of those that interest component which you are paying that flows down to the bottom line and uh, you know at, and a lot of times this is uh, you know neglected by the market so debt reduction as a pattern it you know takes a lot of time to play out you know it's not as quick as you know these uh, you know these earnings kind of bets right so it is something where you you know you know the company you've been tracking in the company for several quarters and you see a trend of you know reduction in debt so we we did that with the radico pentan right so radico is one of the companies which uh, consistently you know has been you know reducing debt and we have seen the stock you know getting uh, re-rated over the last uh, you know 2 3 years uh, but this is this is a much more rare and much more slow you know phenomenon uh you know but it's something you know it's something to keep an eye on but it's not one of the primary uh, patterns that we use so so which one will be uh, other primary patterns besides the peed which you have discussed uh so like i said you know so it's it's always a combination of one or two like you said 52 week high all time high so we never just go out and blindly buy a 52 week high and all time high sure right so that that we don't know but but if you have a mix of multiple patterns right so like i said if you have a peed which is driven by uh, you know a mean reversion in the earn like earnings have fallen a lot and you know uh, the earnings on the, the margins are now turning you know the margins have fallen a lot and margins are now turning and you have a peed and the stock is hitting a 52 week high and it belongs to a, a group you know which is uh, you know as a group this phenomenon is happening so when you put these three or four of you know catalysts together uh, that you know those are the kind of stocks which typically you know get an entry into the portfolio so if a stock has a blockbuster earnings but if the market is uh, not uh, you know uh, reacting to it then it's unlikely that i will get into it so it's it's a mix of uh, you know multiple of these uh, patterns which culminate which which when culminate together in one stock that you increase your probability of you know turning that stock into a winner okay so um, let me then change the question let me ask you how do you what, what's your origination point so since you must be one is obviously you're reading the results so is that the only origination point and then rest are just acting as confirmations for example if two week high is a confirmation or all time high is a confirmation or you have multiple entry screens one being your result surprise but other screens being 52 week high or all time high uh, how do you start what's your starting point and then how do you converge yeah so you're right so the starting point is not always earnings because you know you can't uh, you know you can't really find everything organically right by going through the results so 
if you find it you know that that is the best way otherwise uh, you know we screen for 52 week highs you know we screen for all time highs we screen for uh, you know relative strength and then go back and check the earnings of those stocks and we look for uh, you know let's say the last you know uh, the top 100 stocks for the last one month three months six months you know these buckets and then look at if there are any themes or any you know specific sectors which are visible there and then go back and see you know if something interesting is happening on the earning side so that's 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 one way to look at it you know you go from price to earnings the first one is you go from earnings and you know then use price as a confirmation the second is the other way around and the third is sometimes things are uh, you know uh, narrative driven right so sometimes things are uh, like what's happening with defense right not much is on the paper right now right but there is some narrative there is some uh, you know policy talk going on and you can see that there is a re-rating happening across the board right so you uh, you know uh, go out and uh, you know you can buy a, you know whatever looks interesting there some of them have posted even good numbers so the, i think the ones which have actually done well like mazagam and all they have actually put good put out good numbers also so they would qualify your earnings criteria also but uh, you know it's it's basically either price action or news or you know the organically the earnings itself so one of these three places but but tell me one thing in in this case then your risk management for all these three different type of approaches has to be very different right uh, if let's say you are going for a narrative driven stock selection where the numbers are not really showing up a lot you can't go into the stock hoping for the numbers of course if they come great if they not but then since you are not entering on the basis of some strong fundamentals existing in the market you can't exit on the basis of fundamentals not being performing your risk management or your exit let's not call it risk management because that is allocation but uh, your exit criteria then have to be very different for all these three so would you care to comment on the exit strategies for these stocks no generally i would say 90 to 95% of them are earnings back so one of the triggers has to be earnings that's why i use the example of mazgaon dog because i picked mazgaon because there were earnings to back it you know so otherwise if you are if you are just playing on the news then you are playing blind you know then you don't know you know uh, like you like correctly said when to exit so there has to be an element of earnings you know because especially when you are managing public money right you you cannot uh, buy something based on any of your own whims and fancies right so so earnings is something or at least you know uh, an anticipation of earnings you know so even if the earnings are not there right now you know like you said there has to be uh, you know there has to be some the markets always go up in anticipation the markets are all about the future the markets are you know all about trying to predict what will happen in the future so there has to, so there is always an anticipation of the good earnings coming through right so then you have to track that anticipation now as long as that anticipation is there and that translates into numbers within a reasonable period of time you are there and if some event happens you know let's say let's for example say that you know uh, the general elections right uh, the current government does not come back to power right then your whole thesis of defense is gone right because you don't know what the new government will do so the whole perception of the future earnings will change so if any such event happens or you know uh then you can take a course correction okay okay so um okay then i still you know need some things to bind these together uh, you are 
okay first of all earnings being there to support your thesis comes out as a very prominent idea in all of your cases right so so this yes. is not a portfolio where you are betting on the reverse side of things where you know things are out of flavor out of favor earnings are not coming and you're betting on the reversal of earnings because the price action also have not come so this is not where you're doing bottom fishing in any way whatsoever um in this in this scenario when you're doing earning based thing what are your checks for the for the other side of thing like balance sheets quality of earnings do you have any such checks for these companies uh, you know most of the value investors talks about management quality being there and capital allocation history etc etc uh, uh, what how much of evaluation of stocks from those vantage points come into your evaluation when you are when you're focusing you know uh, on earnings primarily no see all those things become important when you are trying to anticipate or guess you know uh, do a guesswork as to what the earnings are going to be right that is when the management quality the you know quality of the balance sheet so why is the quality of the balance sheet important let's understand that right so quality of the balance sheet is important because for a value investor he doesn't know whether uh, you know the, comp- the the earnings will come after 3 years or 3 months or you know uh, 6 months or when so quality of the balance sheet is important because the company should be able to survive you know the uh, the demand destruction phase that it's going through right so when so typically value com- value companies right what happens to them is they there is a demand destruction you know there is a demand destruction and or they are going through a cyclical uh, you know low right and you don't know when the demand will come back and that is typically when value investors will buy them you know in the hope that the demand comes back so you need a strong balance sheet to weather any storms that happen in the interim right so so similar so so here what i am betting on is something which is happening in the here and now the earnings have already come through the first quarter of good earnings have already come through right i'll give you an example i don't want to name any fund managers or anything like that but there there were you know some fund managers who very you know very nicely picked a lot of these capital good stocks in the last cycle you know uh, some of the, some of them include uh, you know your the, the, your names like uh, the elgi equipment powermac you know some uh, even some alcohol companies and all of that right the stocks did nothing for 2 3 years because they were trying to preempt the earnings right and unfortunately covid happened and you know uh, again there was a delay of one or two years so so you know there is a, so i feel that there is a limited edge you know unless you are really an expert and you really know the industry in and out and you have some knowledge to you know be there at the right place at the right time there is very little edge in analyzing you know especially for these companies you know so here i don't want to play the you know bottom fishing game i want to play the bottom fishing game in the bucket one because in bucket one i have the clarity of thought that these companies will bounce back so everything that you spoke of right the qualitative parameters are taken care of there so i know that you know if i buy them on a correction i as a portfolio you know one or two stocks may still not do well there but as a portfolio i know that these have all the ingredients to give me a fair rate of return but here you know these other mid and small cap companies i don't want to give them that uh, you know uh, benefit of doubt i don't want to say ki aayega earnings aayega i hope it comes valuations are low so i want to 
you know i don't want to give them you know any leeway you show me the numbers and i'll allocate so so when you're so when you're doing that you know the other things you know when the good numbers have come through the other things become a lot less uh, you know material so do you take a cash call in this portfolio as such or it is always a replace and refill there are cash calls you know uh, you know like i said uh, you know during uh, when the market see one of the key things for you know all these setups is the market and understanding the market environment so in a in a you know in a bear market uh, nothing will work in a bear market even if you have great earnings the prices will not go up right so you know typically if you know if i get a sense that uh, the market is uh, you know the market as a whole is turning around then i will uh, you know take some cash calls and i will sort of do some you know risk management by you know cutting positions across the board even there i don't try to pick and choose right so the pick and choose i will do to the extent of you know if some stock has given me phenomenal returns right it's up you know 70 80 100% uh, you know i will trim that you know uh, otherwise i will do an across the board uh, you know uh, trimming to you know raise uh, you know 15 20 25% cash but generally don't don't go beyond you know 30% cash any examples where say it just totally flopped out for learning purposes say maybe couple of stocks or sectors which actually flopped out for you there was no follow up in the numbers in the next two quarters yeah i think uh, one of the examples gives you know uh, it's now come back into my portfolio but in the earlier avatar i think ujivan was that example right so ujivan was you know doing really well post the ipo you know and uh, it was posting very good numbers and then uh, demonetization happened and you know everything everything for microfinance went completely you know for a toss you know and uh, at that point in time i had the you know i i had this idea of conviction with me and i i, I held on i held on to some of those names and you know i had to you know book losses and get out typically you know what i have seen is financials right as a category are a very dangerous uh, you know uh, category to be in because any negative surprises there are amplified you know uh, you know because uh, you know because of the inherent leverage right uh, any negative surprises that are amplified so i try to limit the you know amount of financials that i have in my portfolio uh, you know as a percentage of the overall basket okay so um, all right so got a good understanding about how you are approaching the market and and fair points towards you know the the importance of other primary things which people are seeking you're not really seeking those comforts because your holding period is not like a traditional value investor who is adding at the bottom and waiting for things to turn you are betting only when things are turning themselves and and this is a common theme across all the uh, pattern which you have discussed because all the thing which you have mentioned there let's say a 52 week high if the price you said price not moving you're not going you're going to be very very because earnings moment earnings are coming price is not moving it's a red sign for you red flag for you uh so 52 week high all time highs speed etc all these things are adding up to your you know the, the philosophy which i am able to guess um just a few more questions uh risk management as you said it's being taken care at the allocation level um but also a majority of the earning surprises can also happen at a sectoral level so do you have a limit at the sector level that okay let's say metal companies are coming i'm not going to go beyond let's say 15% 20% something like that 
yes yes so like i was answering norish's question so uh, generally i will try to avoid uh, you know one sector being more than let's say around 15 15 odd percent you know uh, because what happens is uh, you know uh, like i said the sectoral correlation you know is very high so if you know if, if, if something goes wrong with one company uh, you know it typically impacts you know all of them together so to answer norish's you know earlier question see most of the times you know this this you know like like you know i call it earnings momentum because you know by definition you know momentum typically lasts for at least a couple of quarters so the cases where you know this really fails you know is uh, mostly when some event happens you know like i give you the example of ug1 and demonetization you know uh, or you know the muthoot cap was one of the companies you know the kerala floods happen so if some event happens is when you know typically this you know fails uh, or there are some companies which will you know give you a blockbuster number you know uh, and then completely you know disappoint i think recently that happened with this company called as orient bell right it came out with very good numbers and you know then the next couple of quarters it didn't follow through right so in some but you but you still end up you know not losing a lot because you know that tailwind of the good earnings you know the first quarter gives you some cushion because the price moves up and when the next quarter it disappoints you are still able to exit you know around your entry levels okay uh, and um, so this is at the cost level uh, it might be a possibility that you know there is a blockbuster cycle taking up all the stocks pretty high and uh, your your one stock one sector allocation is actually going beyond a particular number uh, do you start to trim your position you completely move out of those kind of stocks let's say you have given example of metals in past in your portfolios so if you go into a metal or a tire kind of sector 15% at cost uh, let's say it becomes 20 25% of your portfolio how do you manage that part do you trim oh, your position yeah. do you tell get out of those positions because the profits have been there how do you go about it no i i do trim my positions because you know by definition we are not holding these for very long periods right? just a two or three quarter play so i cannot uh, possibly you know uh, uh, you know play for the, those you know multi bagger 4x 5x kind of returns sure. so whenever i see you know a big number you know 80% 100% the stock has gone up i do not sell the stock completely because my selling only happens when i feel that the earnings have peaked out or if the earnings are not falling through but i will most definitely you know do a trimming you know whenever things go you know haywire on the positive side but but is it contingent on you getting other ideas also or you will go in cash uh, if if no other ideas are there no generally i try to play it quarter to quarter right so what i do is by the end of one quarter i would have had my portfolio position to play the current the next 3 months right so at wow. the end of the 3 at the end of the 3 months uh, you know as the results start coming in i will you know by evolution have some candidates which will be wanting to go out and you know uh, give give way for the you know because some of these uh, stocks would be second or third or fourth quarter uh, so those which have aged more will kind of you know go out because the you know the, the the juice is sort of out of them and the new ones will sort of make place for them mm-hmm. what will be your um, you know churn in this kind of portfolio obviously it's it is much higher but generally what's an idea about that 
I would say out of the 25 odd stocks, uh, you know, I would say about uh, 30-35% is what I would put it to, you know. Uh, in any given quarter, I would uh, probably replace, uh, you know, five to six stocks. Okay. Uh, you know, one part, so you mentioned four or five things when we were talking about the about the structures of these kind of uh, companies. Momentum being one, mean reversion being another, surprise event, small cap and small float and you also mentioned exhaustion uh, uh, as another theme now when you're looking at exhaustion how are you how are you assessing that how are you judging that uh, uh, is it price action or are you also evaluating let's say holding percentages of some key holders and how are they they responding to the whole thing how are you going about this whole process of exhaustion yeah, it is uh, one. One is definitely price action, so you can kind of see it on the chart, right? Uh, second is more to do with sentiment. You know, second is more to do with uh, Twitter. You know, CNBC. You know, so I think that plays a big role. You know, what is the what is the crowd talking about? You know, what is the you know, you know, like I said, you know the you know the moment uh, uh, you know, like I said, I, I gave you the example of tech, right? So there was so, so much, so much euphoria last year, right? So you knew that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it cannot sustain, right? So it's, it's actually more qualitative, I would say, you know, you can definitely, so when I spoke of exhaustion as a structural tendency, I was coming more from, a, you know, uh, an ability to build a setup around it. So you can build short setups around exhaustion. You can build long setups around, you know, selling exhaustion. Right, so these are shorter-term plays for those who trade, right? Uh, and also, you know, one of the, you know, one of the biggest uh, timing indicators that that is used by a lot of professional traders is the market breadth, right? So when the market breadth, you know, uh, gets exhausted, which means that when you get, so let's say there are different different indicators which people follow, but let's say number of stocks below 50-day moving average, right? when that number goes to single digit you know that a market turn is coming when the number of stocks and i think nuresh is probably an expert in this but you know the the breadth indicator you know whereby so that is an exhaustion setup that is an exhaustion because there is exhaustion exhaustion by the sellers you know everybody has sold and now the number of stocks which are you know you will see this in every downturn on the chart you go back and check the breadth it will typically be in single digits you know, and doesn't mean that you will pick the bottom, but you'll be very, very close to the bottom. You know, when the breadth goes down to, you know, 5%, 4%, 3%, you know, 8%, you know that a lot of selling is done and there is a swing move that is going to come. That may not be the ultimate low, but, you know, so you can build, you know, trading setups around exhaustion. So that is with the trading thing in mind. The other thing is more qualitative. You know, the other thing is more observation and, you know, uh, watching, like I said, you know, I gave you the example of PSU banks, you know, there uh, it was completely neglected, you know, completely underowned. I gave you the example of tech, you know, uh, look at cryptos, right? Cryptos is, 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 you know, is a buyer exhaustion. At some point it was a buyer exhaustion. So those can be used for more of macro calls and, you know, uh, such narratives, uh, you know, so you can look at it two ways. You can build trading strategy around exhaustion or you can look at it in a very macro way you know, to sort of build any thesis around how the market will, you know, uh, perform. So for long positions, I'm then guessing exhaustion is more like a confirmatory 
uh, it's not a necessary condition it's more like a confirmatory thing that okay if it is there it's even better uh, rather than being a selection criteria is that fair point to say no exhaustion you know for long position exhaustion comes uh, when there is extreme selling that is happening on one side sure when there is an extreme selling that is happening because of some event and you can you can only use it as a you know like i said if you can use it as a market timing indicator you for an individual uh, stock it may not work so well uh, okay. it may not work so well but when you look at it as a breadth indicator you will you will see that uh, you know when there is exhaustion across the board most of the stocks have fallen you know uh, and there is hardly any stocks which are you know up uh, above the 50 ema or something like that then you know that a market turn is coming so in uh, say in parameters say maybe the way i look at it 40% of the stocks are down 40% that tells you the breadth has been worst uh, so that has been a criteria where it has been in 2008 2013 2020 so breadth criteria could be a, the moving average or the absolute price fall but uh, Yes, I yes, think, uh, and we saw this happen in two thousand twenty. It was very close to two thousand eight. The breadth was almost similar to two thousand eight, and the worst part was there was no yes. bull market before it. It's a brilliant timing indicator. It's a brilliant timing indicator, and you know, if you study the, you know, a lot of professional investors, especially abroad, and this is, I think, they have something called as I think T two one zero eight or something they call it. You know, it is a, it's an indicator in most of these U.S. Uh, systems. which is a breadth indicator which tells you you know when can you play for that swing up move you know after a correction nuresh we need a session from you on breadth indicators i keep hey. writing about breadth uh, so i have an article written on 23rd I, march 2020 I, yeah. but nobody is interested in yeah, reading so now what we need the... to do is we need to take all your articles on breadth indicators and do a podcast <laughs> with you specifically on this <laughs> great uh, so vakar uh, uh, just uh, uh, let's you know close this discussion by discussing one side of equation which we have not touched at all which is the short part of your portfolio uh, you know they say shorting is an is a completely different ball game compared to a long side of equation because long side may uh, you know there is some sanity that you can expect at the bottoms to come it's much easier to see that okay things might turn from here uh, the insanity on the you know when you're trying to short is much much difficult to Uh, you know put your finger to so uh, first how have been your experience on shorting uh, you know have you, have you been successfully deploying this uh, or is it a learning phase you're going through what exactly are your is your learning curve there and some nuggets for us if you can uh, you know what have you learned in the shorting side of the equation no i would say you know in one word if you can avoid it avoid it you know so i'll tell you why you know so we will we have done a lot of a uh, lot of work around this now shorting right so it is not the opposite of going long a lot of people think that if you you know just uh, use the opposite of the long strategy you can use it on the short side now number one uh, you cannot do you know you can rarely do long term shorting a long term shorting is possible only in the fraud candidates once you realize that something is a fraud you go if you can short it and you can keep rolling over your positions and uh, you know that is one second is in india we do not have a very active slbm market the, you know so you there are only a few set of stocks which you can short and most of them being large caps you get only a few opportunities like a yes bank or india bulls or reliance capital which comes you know once in a few years so you cannot really you know create a setup out of that because they are too rare right so long term shorting doesn't work 
I feel that shorting works over a very short time frame. So, you know, if you want to play shorting, you, it has to be played in bursts of maybe three to five days. Nothing beyond that. Because, because you know, by, by definition, uh, there is a tendency of, you know, uh, mean reversion that comes into play there. No? Because most of the, you know, most of the players in the market, whether it's institutions or retail, most of them are natural buyers. Right. So whenever, you know, there is, so whenever uh, there a stock falls, there is natural buying that comes in from the institutions. Now I'm talking only about, because we don't have SLBM here, we're only left with the FNO stocks to short. Right. And within the FNO stocks, uh, you know, as soon as, uh, you know, the, like I said, unless there is a corporate governance led event, if you are shorting in a regular market, you have to be very quick to book your profits. You cannot allow the shorts to linger, right? Like in longs, they say, let your winners run, right? In shorting, in my experience, that is not true. You cannot let your winners in shorting run. You have to book your profits because the short coverings that come are crazy. And, you know, if you are uh, leveraged and all of that, it can completely wipe you. And it has happened with many players, right? So stock shorting is, uh, you know, something which can be only done as a short-term trading activity. Now it comes to hedging, right? It comes to hedging, uh, you know, a lot of institutions, what they, you know, do, including us, you know, or rather what we used to do, uh, now we have stopped it, is to use Nifty as a hedge against your stock portfolio, right? And people who have been through 2018 to 2020 will tell you that was the most stupidest thing one could have done because only the Nifty went up. The, the, the entire, the stocks just did not go up, right? So you lost on both the legs. So, right. So if you're using Nifty as a hedge or a bank, you know, bank Nifty, you can still use against bank, but Nifty as a hedge because of this index fund phenomena or whatever you call it, there are natural buyers in Nifty, right? So you cannot use Nifty as a short. If you use Nifty as a short, a short hedge against your long portfolio of stocks, I think, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be taken to the cleaners, right? So then what is left is you have a long stock underlying and you can, you know, hedge it using the call and put options, right? Even there, the story is crazy in India because there is no volume. You go to stock options, right? Any decent size institution can hardly do any hedging, right? So the put and the put the the bid and ask only you will be losing money, right? So all in all, you know, shorting is not worth the you know. I would rather you stay in cash. I would rather you come into cash rather than try to you know try to play on both the sides other thing with shorting is a psychological one right so if if you if you have an ability to short your mindset you know becomes pessimistic right you you start thinking that i i you know i want the market to go down i want the market to go down and you get into that uh, sort of a negative mindset and what then happens is you know you are not you know primed to play the recovery Right, so you, you if you get into that shorting mindset, and as the market is falling, you'll keep getting you know uh, uh, happier and happier, and you your positions will be zero at the market bottom, and when the market turns, you will uh, you know you will you know miss the entire recovery, and you'll also lose money on your shorts. So net net, uh, you know, it's an exercise which can be only done as a you know as a very short term short-term hedging or very short-term trading strategy. Okay, but then tell me one thing. Uh, in this particular case, since you mentioned exhaustion as one of your way to study the market breadth and specifically when it is, you know, exhaustion happening at the at the buyers getting exhausted in the market overall, 
do you try to then do hedging uh, you know at a market you said nifty ko nahi use karna hai but do you then use nifty for your hedging of the portfolio at certain points in time when you think the okay the exhaustion is there or you're saying all of those also do not have you know uh, uh, enough predictability or enough certainty in terms of action yeah no the, the thing about uh, exhaustion is that uh, it it works on the seller exhaustion right like i said on the bottoms it works breadth works very well but the breadth doesn't work as well on the uh, on the long side right on the long side just be- just because 98% of the stocks are above the 10 ema or 50 ema or whatever uh, doesn't mean that the market will fall the market can remain in an overbought situation for a much longer time so so this whole exhaustion thing works more when you are trying to go long during a market correction rather than you know using it as a you know thing to go short because of a, you know buyer exhaustion right and buyer exhaustion typically happens in india in the you know thing you see you get an opportunity to play buyer exhaustion when things go parabolic and things do not go parabolic so much in the fno stocks things go parabolic in small cap stocks and you can't short them right if you if you short them then you can get into you know uh, all kinds of delivery troubles and all of that so uh, so our market in that sense is very unique you know so you can't play the short game in our market you know it's very difficult to unless you're doing it for a very short term you know intraday or you know one or two days anything beyond that you are setting yourself up for uh, you know failure so so your long short is basically long only it's very little short No, we do, we do, we do hedging, but it's all very shorter term in nature. You know, we do not have any. You know, when people sometimes call long and short, uh, they will be something like, "I am long private private banks, I am short PSU banks." So we don't do that business. Okay. Because you know, we have seen multiple times. You know, you know, when that recapitalization news came, I think a couple of years back, PSU banks just went crazy, and such portfolios were taken to the cleaners. Yeah. Who were short the PSU banks? So what we do is on our underlying position, we do hedging. covered calls with the, uh, yeah covered calls or we buy puts and you mm-hmm. know uh, and uh, we are quick to try to take profits but even then i would say you know net net uh, you know it's more of a psychological thing mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, so you don't expect to make a lot of money out of uh, you know going short or hedging perfect perfect great yaar <laughs> so uh, again you know the questions will keep on coming but i think there is a we have to uh, bring a pause somewhere uh, brilliant session prabhakar lot to learn uh, i will take a lot of uh, you know i have already taken a lot of notes i will probably put a lot of this into practice and see uh, maybe share with you the outcomes which i find um, sure, sure. it was an amazing i'm sure the, the the listeners are going to learn a lot and and a new learning from me in terms of uh, my understanding about your working because when you said the bucket two explanation i would i would have never fathomed you to be on that side that much yeah no no i don't talk much about bucket two because bucket two is very nuanced you know because you can't talk about it in public and you know people you know uh, you can you can also you know if you don't know what you are doing and you know if you like i said if you misunderstand you know that these are shorter term plays and you try to you know hold on to your losing positions or you get into the hope mindset so it is not suitable for somebody who has not uh, you know worked on this uh, you know bucket two business for at least a, you know several quarters so it takes a few quarters to get the hang of it it's not rocket science 
but you will have to you know uh, understand the nuances something on a public platform yeah people take it verbatim right so yeah and it needs a detailed discussion and that's why we had a detailed discussion so it helps yeah so, so you know the, what these nuances generally do is that it it gives an idea to a person that whether this is for me or not because at the yes. at the broad level everybody thinks that okay uh, you know this works but also to people who are willing to put in the effort to learn the nuances this also yes. gives a confirmation that uh, you know practically money can be managed and you have been doing it for some time now successfully with decent returns with strategies like this otherwise most of this is usually talk people talk about trading uh, value based trading or fundamental trading etc but nobody has a real record to show that okay there is a, a significant money can be managed it's not small capital i think you are managing upward of 500 crores across both your schemes right maybe more than that i'm not sure about the numbers yeah, that is correct yes yeah. is so correct. so if you're doing that it's it's obvious that you know given all the no- normal discussions around liquidity and you have been managing all that within this strategy so so to to a more venturing learner this also gives a ray of hope so to speak but it was Absolutely. great great discussion prabhakar uh, lovely talking to you we'll again do sometime but it is this still discussion sometime soon and uh, maybe you and i can host uh, nuresh separately on a breadth indicator absolutely absolutely <laughs> absolutely all right perfect thanks a lot thank, thank you so you much thank you guys yeah thanks punit thanks nuresh yeah yeah thanks this audio podcast is for general information purpose only and contains the personal views of the spokespersons do not construe this as an investment advice Listeners before acting on any information should make their own investigation and seek appropriate professional investment advice before doing so. Any sectors, stocks or issuers mentioned do not constitute any recommendation and DSP Investment Managers Private Limited, the AMC, may or may not have any future positions in these. While utmost care has been exercised, the spokespersons or the AMC do not warrant completeness or accuracy of the information and disclaim any liabilities, losses or damages arising out of the use of this information. Past performance may or may not sustain in the future and should not be used as a basis for comparison with other investments. Mutual fund investments are subject to market risks. Read all scheme related documents carefully.